0: Welcome to the In Development podcast. This is a podcast for all you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change toward people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by Idea, the Infill Development and in Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people to help shape our city. We created this podcast to help share knowledge as North American cities redevelop and build up. We'll be talking about development, infrastructure, social change, policy, and so much more. Today's episode will be a little bit different. We'll be going back in time to talk about IDEA's background and how it was created with Tegan who founded the organization. We'll then be going into some of her exciting projects that are happening right now in Blatchford and Riverdale, two very different, but important communities in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. If you're listening specifically for development projects, We get into that conversation around minute 24, so skip ahead, but you'll be missing out on a lot of cool stuff. Before we get into the conversation, my name is Mariah Samji. I am the executive director for IDEA, the Infill Development and Edmonton Association, and I'll be co-hosting this podcast with Ryan.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Eideck, I'm an urban planner and I love talking about Edmonton. Like Mariah said, this is our inaugural episode and I could not be more excited to jump right in. But before we do that, I have to define a few terms that you're going to hear over the course of the episode. The first is Blatchford. It used to be the municipal airport just north of downtown Edmonton, and it was officially closed in 2013 after a long and somewhat controversial process. Now it's 536 acres of city-owned and city-driven development lands that are aiming to change the way that we do urban development, so focusing on things like sustainability and site planning, engineering, and architecture, to name a few. It's going to take a very long time to build out, and it's a very bold move by the city, and I'm excited to see how it plays out. The second is IDEA. Like Mariah mentioned, it stands for the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, but it's a lot more than that. It's the voice of the infill community. I actually joined in 2019 after a coffee meeting with you, Mariah, where you convinced me that I needed to actually join the movement. And you were right, I've been able to get involved in affecting change at the municipal level for a cause that I care about, and look at us now. We've got lots of exciting stuff coming, including this podcast that's about to launch. Does that all make sense? Good. Well, now let's talk to somebody who's shaping our city.
0: Welcome to In Development, Tegan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, this is um, good. I'm glad to be part of this conversation.
0: Yeah. Well, you know why we brought you on. You are the president of Red Brick Real Estate, the founder of Ochsler Homes, our co-founder of Homestead Co-working, which Idea also works out of, the founder of Idea and the one who inspired me to track you down after a very long conversation at the U of A and a couple more exams to see if I could work for you.
2: Yes, yeah. No, we have a a long history. And yes, I'm intricately involved in all of those things that you mentioned. <laughs> the idea of idea started in 2012 with the start of my business. And uh, it literally cut, came from an entrepreneur trying to find their way through a, a, a system of like obviously bureaucracy and regulations and permitting and I've traveled a lot in my early 20s saw some amazing cities saw amazing buildings was very inspired and just wanted to bring some of those ideas back to my the town that I was living in and kept asking myself well why doesn't this already exist why don't more builders do this kind of stuff I'm going to start a company and I'm going to uh, I, you know, I see a, a need for it because I knew that Edmontonians my age and my generation were looking for really cool, innovative buildings to be built. And so I just set my mind to doing it and started up the business and started trying to do some projects and then he started hitting barriers and walls and realized that the rules of the game were not built to facilitate really good infill development. And after a series of meetings on one of my projects in particular, I just asked the group around the table, why is this so hard? And they just looked at me kind of like not understanding. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, who creates these rules, these bylaws that prevent me from doing this and prevent me from doing that and that. And, And I said, what's the process to putting input into these bylaws? And they said, well, you know, we go out and we ask the industry uh, for feedback and on these rules every time we're doing a change. And we talk to the communities and we talk to, you know, as many stakeholders as we can before we change these rules. And we've never had anyone tell us that they don't facilitate good infill development. And so I said, well, what, what when you say you talk to industry, what does that mean? And they laid out the, the environment at the time of the building associations. And, and I said, well... It's not a surprise to me that nobody's told you that these rules don't fit infill because these industry associations are predominantly, their membership is predominantly suburban developers. So, you know, they're going to be thinking about things from a suburban development perspective without putting it through the lens of an infill development perspective. So that's when I said, well, how do I get a seat at the table? And they said, well, you got to be an association. We won't provide these as we're developing out these rules and these bylaws. We won't present them to a private entity or, or a private party or a company, uh, but we, we, we do send them out to associations that represent a group or an industry or a, a group of people that have a shared uh, values and shared interests uh, with uh, moving the city forward. So that's that was that literally that meeting and discussion uh, with that group of people had me walk away and think okay, how, how do I get a seat at that table to give input to these rules so I can affect change? And what does that look like? And I got to work after that.
1: Did they, do you think they were paying you lip service and being like, oh, like you have to be an organization, like you got to do all this, like all this stuff to get yourself kind of recognized in order for us to, to take you seriously? Do you think they were just paying you lip service? Do you, or do you think they knew the monster that they were going to create?
0: Uh,
2: I don't think they were paying me lip service, but I think they honestly thought that the result would be that I would go join one of those existing associations. Uh, I don't think it would it would have even occurred to them that I would start something from scratch because <laughs> probably most people would not go to thinking that. They would think, well, I'll just join an existing group, and an existing infrastructure. The resources are all there. And, and that was a consideration at the time. Certainly I knew that would be, well, it wouldn't necessarily be an easier path because it has its own uh, challenges, but it was one path that I did uh, contemplate. And I went to a few events and, and kind of poked in on those associations just to read the room and see what their membership was made up of and what their events were like and what the culture was like and to see if I could find a good fit there. And and uh, there was obviously advantages to joining that existing engine that was already running, versus uh, literally building something from scratch. But the the flip side, building something from scratch is hard, and you kind of have to you have to be the champion of it and the visionary for it, and it takes a lot of energy. But the upside is that you build it how you see it should be done, uh, versus trying to affect change in something that's already operating and has been operating for. A very long time so I spent a year after that meeting uh, at the city uh, office there I spent a year just talking to other stakeholders so I decided that I was just going to have a whole bunch of coffees and talk about these ideas and the different options and just listen to what the feedback was and I would just ask like do you think it's a good idea to start a new association or a new group and and assemble like-minded people under a shared vision or do you think it'd be good to work with the existing groups and I just asked everybody and anybody in the development world so that was you know other developers that was uh, people inside the city that was like the suppliers and the, the consultants uh, community members I was volunteering with the Edmonton Federation Community League so I knew how that worked, and and uh, had some very uh, progressive, forward-thinking people I knew within that organization. So, so yeah, I just did like my coffee rounds and landed on the ultimate. Obviously, the the ultimate result was create a shared vision, uh, bring like-minded people under one roof, and start something new uh, that would be focused on infill development and furthering it in the city of Edmonton and so like the name says everything about that Uh, that is what the intent was infill development in Edmonton association Um, and that was a benefit again like you start joining other associations and trying to shift their focus or add more tasks to their already they've already got strategies that are probably multi-year strategies they already know what their priorities are to come in and ask a big association to change those priorities or add a new priority is very hard, um, because it takes a lot of resources and time. So, um, so it just it made sense to start something new that was clearly focused on that one thing and get traction on that one thing.
1: It's like infiltrating organized crime turning, (laughs) steering the ship a different direction. It takes years. So who, uh, so I mean, it wasn't just, it couldn't have been just you that started at the beginning. I mean, you were the one kind of spearheading everything, but like, what was your first, did you have like a first kickoff meeting or something once you had enough people or what did that look like right at the start?
2: Yep. Yeah. So I did my individual meetings and then I made a list of all the people and I categorized them. Uh, based on their background and experience and tried to make sure I had a couple representatives from each category and I invited them to that coffee shop that once existed at the Mercer and we all sat around a few tables and just had a good conversation and just I just said to them like I think I've landed on this as uh as something to move forward are you guys all in on helping me build this out and every single one of them said yep and I'm I can't remember how many. Probably probably eight to ten people that showed up, and uh, and then we got to work that first year. Even just learning what it is to start an association, like I had never done that before. I had been again part of some not-for-profits and and societies, but I hadn't started one uh, myself yet. So took a bit to learn that and the bylaws and set that up, and then think through like the the governance structure and and how to do that. So. That was, uh, you know, there were some people that came in on that first year to help with that, that uh, really were integral in that, you know, had legal backgrounds and accounting backgrounds and, and to get that all going. And they were a huge help on that front. And once we were able to, once we had a logo and we had landed on the name and we had set up the association and had our first AGM, we, uh, we did our founding 50 event which kick-started the community building gathering piece of all of it. and So the founding 50 was, uh, I, I can't remember how much, it was very—it a very small amount, $50, $100, just a, a monetary commitment to say, yeah, I believe in this, I'll write a check just to say I was a part of this founding of this association and that I believe in the shared values that we all have to Better the city and move it forward, and and make it a city for the next generation that uh, uh, gets some exciting things built here.
1: Did you know right away that you had something? You must have. That you had some like how how may, how long? What I'm wondering is like it's it's easy at the first couple meetings to have a shared vision, and I mean throwing in 50 bucks is whatever. But you even mentioned you were like you were concurrently starting and running your own business. And I'm assuming a lot of these other people were doing it too. And burnout seems to be a very real thing. And it's, I mean, it's easy to, to get started, but kind of keeping the momentum going is kind of difficult. How did you manage that?
2: Yeah. And I, I actually was having a conversation with somebody just two days ago who's embarking on a potential big project and big vision. And what I did say to them is as the visionary and the idea person who sparks the idea and starts it, you have to know going in that if you want to pull this off, you have to stick with it and have the energy and the be the champion of this idea for a very long time because uh, people will come and go. Like we had changeover with like, we only have people that were part of the original helping set it up. But then once that project phase kind of stopped, they're like, okay, my part's done. I'm I'm happy to see you guys continue on, but I'm not going to do it anymore. And then you bring in more additional people that have different skill sets. And so the turnover is real and it happens and it is all volunteer. And yes, most of the people that were joining at the time were all running their own businesses. And and I also had just had a baby in early 2012. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, balls being juggled and you have to really believe in it. And I think you know, I'm trying to pinpoint, I think, well, I I do know the moment when I knew that we were onto something, uh, was I was sitting uh, on a bench at the river Valley. I won't name the person, but it was, uh, someone that has been integral in furthering the, the future of the city. And, and it was just one of those, like, let's build an awesome city together moments. uh, just, let's you know let's make this the best city we possibly can for us for our kids for other like-minded people Uh, we saw the potential that Edmonton had and still has and uh, you know the people that we were surrounding ourselves with were people with a lot of passion and and I just remember walking away from that thinking like this is awesome like this is I'm so energized by this I'm so excited by this now it's time to get to work and I think Moments like that, they're they're short, like, it, you know, probably was an hour meeting. Um, but they they plant a seed in you that makes you feel like, OK, I've got the support. I've got uh, this is clearly a good idea because I never had anybody really say, no, that's terrible. You need to not do that. This is like, you know, there was a few people that probably said this is gonna be a lot of work, but everybody that I was talking to was saying, Let, let's go for it. Let's go for it. But yeah, along the way, there was times where it was like the, when the rubber hits the road and there's a lot of work to be done and it gets tedious, uh, you see people drop off and you have to, as the visionary and idea, main idea person, you have to keep the reminding people of the vision and keep that energy up and, and be dedicated yourself because the minute you steer away, yeah, the whole thing will fall apart. It's, it's once the wheels are turning and you feel like you've got that successor who you can pass the the baton to, you know, and, and, and they can wear that, uh, visionary hat. You gotta, you gotta stay with it.
1: Yeah. I want to talk more about that, but I do have one more question just about that early stages stuff. Did you ever go back to the city and, uh, say to those same people that told you that you had to be an organization or an association and just sit in that meeting and go, okay. I'm an association now. <laughs> Let's now, yeah. now give me all the answers. How was that meeting?
2: Yeah, no. All the way along that year, as I was having coffees and starting to put the pieces together, I was keeping who I considered the key stakeholders updated. To say like, this is coming, guys. We're working on this. Uh, be ready for us when we do come. Uh, be ready to start giving us input and and give make you know give us legitimacy by actually making a seat and make room for us at the table so I was doing that work simultaneously with actually building the structure of the association and all the legal stuff around it um and so I remember them saying like you can't build it fast enough like get it get it done so that because we have lots that we were that they were working on that they needed input on and they wanted us up and running um quickly so that we we could be on that list of stakeholders
1: oh that's good yeah, I was going to say because it like around that time when you started it, there was already um, kind of a movement towards like densification of in of like central cores of cities. And it was something that both Mariah and I learned in university and probably you did as well. Um, it was coming, but I, you're right. There was no real association kind of pushing that, even though everyone was kind of saying that. So yeah, um, I, I want to switch gears here a little bit. How has you talked about handing over the baton. I would argue that the baton is squarely in the hands of my co-host here now, but, um, what were kind of the milestones that made you comfortable that you could take your foot off the bag and kind of pass some of that on?
2: I think, uh, yeah, exactly. What you said Mariah coming on board. Uh, I had done a presentation at the U of A just, I can't even remember what the topic was. It was on flex housing. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was one of those things. Like, I again, I'm I live and breathe this stuff. I'm very passionate about it. It's easy for me to get up in front of a room and talk about it, and uh, my passion comes through. And I remember doing that talk, and then Mariah and I talking outside in the hallway afterwards. And I was very impressed by her. And and then I can't remember what the timeline was when you sent me a resume, uh, Mariah. But I saw her resume, and at the time I had been you know, at the table at the IDEA board meetings, we were lamenting about, we almost had too much thrown at us in terms of, you know, give input on this and oh this is going on a public hearing and you need to review this policy. Like it just came at us like a freight train and we were a volunteer association with again, a bunch of people running a business so we were very quickly overwhelmed and we, we didn't have time to sit at council all day or we were burning the candle at both ends. And we also didn't wanna miss those opportunities and not shape policy or regulations and feel like we missed the boat just because we didn't have time to respond. So we felt the pressure. And I started talking to the, to the board about, we need to bring somebody on full-time. Like think of it as an extension of your business because if without hiring on the idea side then we're having to do it as volunteers and we are parents and we're business owners and we got a lot on the go so hiring within the association would really help free up our time to you know not be doing the stuff like trying to organize the meetings and be the conduit with the city and stuff like you know, having having someone in that role, they could tee it all up for us and we show up with our minds and just give the valuable input and knowledge and feedback that we have from our experience and education. And uh, and so they were they were on board with it. But of course the big question was how are we gonna pay for that? I it's right around the time that those conversations were happening that Uh, you know, Mariah's resume came and I was, I was hiring in the business, but when I saw Mariah's resume, I was like, this is idea. This is the perfect person to uh, embody what idea is about. She's going to have the passion and share the vision that we do. And uh, you know, we went for coffee and I just was like, like I, we didn't even post the job. Like I just knew Mariah was the person that could carry this, Forward and and really take on this next phase of idea and then i just needed to sell it to the board so i i did i I i don't think i'm a good salesman but i often get what i need or want out of a out of a pitch so yeah
0: yeah well and from my perspective i had uh i'd gone back to school for urban planning and a huge shout out to dr summer's who helped me navigate the system to be able to take the courses I wanted to? Uh, ended up in a transit-oriented development course, and Tegan was one of the guest speakers, and we had some other fantastic speakers. But to have someone who was so passionate, knowledgeable, experienced, and I could clearly see what was going to change Edmonton, and a woman that I I wanted to work for someone that I could see in myself. Uh, I I took up her time after class. I think I I cornered you for about 45 minutes. (laughs) and We we talked about idea and uh, lot splitting and the M&O and what was coming up next. Then it was another year and a half before I graduated. And then I went traveling for six months. And I, you know, I interviewed a a few jobs at the city and nothing was kind of right. And I was like, you know what, I I need to go back and, and find her figure out what she's doing <laughs> and I think at the time you needed a, a co-working manager for the space and, and uh an accountant I think or a bookkeeper or something and I emailed you and I was like I don't I don't want either of these positions <laughs> do, you need, do you need an urban planner I really want to work for you and we went and spent I don't I think it was like two hours at Lockstock talking about what had recently happened at council and went up to the co-working space and it just felt like fate had come together yeah yeah
1: it certainly sounds like that like there was a lot of parallels in that story like both you just kind of kicked the door down and didn't just like just kind of did what you wanted to do and what you needed to do rather than what was available to you so I think that's kind of interesting and you two are obviously two peas in a pod
2: yeah and I like you know Mariah would have been a great hire within the business and I was almost like I really wanted her inside my business but I knew from her passion and her and the interview and their resume and stuff it was like she's she's going to be a great
0: asset to idea and yeah I've never looked back yeah plus I love figuring out what's right and wrong in situations and how to how to push push the, the barrier of the line forward so it, it all ended up working out <laughs>
1: What have you seen for, uh, for sorry, what have you seen for improvements in the infill industry since you started IDEA, Tegan?
2: Well, I, uh, I think it was when IDEA was about five years old, which would have been 2018. I looked at a presentation I had done to council in 2013, and I actually was blown away. I was like, everything that I thought uh, needed to happen in terms of changes and implementation of new rules or just, you know allowing expanding the ability to experiment a bit more had happened and that was a very pivotal moment for me to say like okay what i saw happening back in 2012 2013 and what i thought needed to change and stuff like that was accomplished and i i had to pinch myself almost and it also was a pivotal moment of realizing like okay this is now beyond my vision like the 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 work that's being done now is no longer like I started it and I had, you know, a set of goals that I wanted to achieve, but it's gone way beyond that. And that's pretty cool when you can step back and say, okay, now it's standing on its own. It doesn't require its founder to inject a bunch of time and energy and money into it. And it's standing and, and accelerating and growing because it, it's doing It's adding value and it's doing good in the work that it's doing. And, and the vision, the strategy is, is a collective community strategy that, um, you know, is, is a whole bunch of champions inside of it. So that's where it's like it's snowballing into a movement now. And the other big cool moment was very early on. I thought, well, if this, if this takes off and this becomes good and it does some good things in the city other cities will take notice and maybe this becomes a thing that's an intercity type association or we partner with other cities or even just share knowledge between other cities and some of that is starting to take shape and that's where it's like wow like now the vision is expanding beyond making Edmonton really awesome and cool and Now it's like having ripple effects to other urban centers across Canada and potentially even across North America. So that's where that's where it's like, okay, this has gone beyond the original the original vision that we set out to achieve.
0: Yeah, we'll have to give a big shout out to the new Calgary uh, Infill Redevelopment Association, CISPA. Uh, If you haven't checked out their website, do it now because we're working with them and they are doing great things over there. Ryan, if you, if you don't mind, I have a few questions I wanted to pivot off of, if that's fine. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, please. <laughs> this is more, I'm just here. I'm just here for decoration, really. It's it's your show. Go ahead.
0: So we, uh, we've been talking about some of the amazing things that Idea has been able to do and your work uh, around there. But one of the reasons I was drawn to working with you is your passion and your work in the development industry and some of the projects that you physically built around Edmonton. Can you talk to me about how it was starting your own development company and what it's like?
2: I think to do the kind of development that I do, you have to have uh, a strong passion for it. I keep reminding people, like, if it was about the money, well, this w- you wouldn't do actually the kind of development that I do if it was purely about money. And that's a misnomer, I think, out in the general population. They think all developers just do what I do for money. Um, but it's actually very risky, very hard work uh, very little reward at times and what keeps you going really is the idea that you're helping build a better city and then obviously at, you know when in the business of building buildings or renovating them there's a tangible end result where you start to see people interact with what you built and they fall in love with it and they fall in love whether it's a home or an office space or a retail space and you start overhearing, you, you can be sitting in there and hearing them proclaim, wow, this space is so beautiful. Or I, you know, if I'm in my co-working space, I'll, I'll overhear tours and people are just, I'm blown away with, you know, this co-working space. It's so beautiful. Or like yesterday, I'm handing keys over to a homeowner and they, they're just telling me, you know, just this is, this is an unbelievable moment for them and they are loving the home and it's better than they could have ever hoped for. Those are the moments that I live for and why I do what I do. Every day, me and my team, we list the, the kids and the families that we're impacting with the work that we're doing every day because if we don't, it can wear you down. What we do is a complex thing to do um, because you're a facilitator of so many different stakeholders and different parties. You're dealing with changing market conditions. Um, I'm a woman in the construction side of things, in the development side of things. I was used to being the minority at the boardroom table as an engineer. Uh, you know, and engineering, depending on what division or what discipline you do, you're anywhere from five percent to I think twenty percent of the of the engineering graduates. Um, so I was already used to being in that category. But uh, I think in the development world for women developers, not not real estate agents or other positions, but as a woman who owns a development company who is overseeing the development management, project management, property management of, of buildings, I don't know another one actually uh, in the city. I'm sure they might exist, but they're probably so they're probably working so hard that they don't have time to to really reach out. So, um, and then when you add the construction side of it, that's a whole other world. It's, it's, it just adds an extra layer of complexity to it. So it's been a very tough hill to climb. Um, I'm very proud of what we've accomplished. We're a small, scrappy company. We're not big. When you look at the successful development companies a lot in the city, a lot of them are second, third generation. You know, they've been built since the 1950s, 1960s, passed down to the next generation. So they've got some wealth to build upon and some, some strong trade networks and strong supply chain networks. I don't have that. I just, you know, I'm still very young in the, the company uh, stages. So you're building all that as you're trying to do the most complex real estate development in the city. Uh, and that's not because of the, necessarily the dollar amounts you're talking about or the size of the project. It has to do with the technical um, aspects of the project right from permitting through to community consultation, through to, you know, the design and engineering right to the construction side of it and dealing with tight sites and intricate, uh, you know, mixed use. You have multiple fire code uh, requirements to meet, which uh, the architects tell me all the time is like a Tetris model. It's a challenge. I do love it. Uh, COVID has definitely added an extra layer of challenges to the whole thing. So I'm looking forward to taking a bit of a break after I finish out these current projects. I am very proud of what we've accomplished in, uh, we're going on uh, nine years now. And I'm also looking forward to the opportunities that are Coming my way. I'm already, I'm already seeing them. I just, uh, I want to make sure that the next opportunities I take on are the right ones.
0: So when we first met, you were just finishing up a apartment building complex by a stadium, which is now seeing significant redevelopment going on around it. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was a, a problem property as, as a drug house.
2: It was vacant. It had been a bunch of derelict houses that had been taken down, and then yeah, it was a vacant lot that nobody had done anything with at the time.
0: And now you've got, uh, like, that project is beautiful. I've been able to go through it. And now you've got a project in Blatchford that you're working on uh, closing up. And then uh, a new mixed-use building going in Edmonton uh, in Riverdale. Can you talk to me about that mixed-use project? Because I don't know any other mixed-use projects. Correct me if I'm wrong, but do we we have that in Edmonton?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that one. So the reason why that one is so unique, and it's honestly one of the most complex projects I've been a part of. And I've been a part of like as an engineer, I've been a part of, you know, 40, uh, 50 story towers. Uh, The reason why that one is so complex is a very tight site, uh, mature neighborhood overlay, uh, old zoning and a very engaged community. And we wanted to do three uses all under one roof. So we had very tight site restrictions. And so that was like height restrictions, uh, site coverage restrictions. Like there was just so many things about it where it's like the, the typical rules just don't f- apply and don't fit. You know, there was a lot of suggestions at the time to do a complete rezoning and everything. But we wanted to try to make it work with the existing zone. And it was a 50 foot wide by, I can't remember the length, but it was, it's just like, it's, it's such a small site. And so then we were also trying to do residential office and retail within it. And, you know, by the time when you take the, the site coverage into effect, you have your exit stairs and your elevator and stuff like your, your floor plates start to get pretty small. And we were also trying to put as much insulation as possible uh, because I believe in sustainability and while you can't necessarily get a certification of every building, you should always first invest in your building envelope and then your mechanical efficiencies will follow. That's like, I won't, I don't have an interest in being part of a project that doesn't start with that as its foundation for building because I want to build buildings that stand the test of time for 50 to 100 years. And so that means when I'm building them to use the knowledge and technology at the time to build the best building possible. And your constraints are obviously um, monetary because you're stuck with your market conditions and appraisals and, and you, you can't overbuild, but you can do a lot more in terms of smart decisions around sustainability. So I think, uh, you know, that, that made it a, a very complex project. And so, yeah, we're wrapping it up. It's been a lot longer of a project than any of us had anticipated uh, it's, it's got a, a very interesting story to tell all along the way, right from, because the, the guy that had owned it was actually one of my neighbors because I lived in Riverdale and he had owned it for a long time and had all these visions and plans for it. And I had actually been a part of the community league where it was talked about as a site that could have so many things on it. And I, I, as part of being a sustainability director with the Riverdale community league, uh, I facilitate a bunch of visioning sessions because I, I said to the community, if, To think about sustainability, yes, I can install LED light bulbs throughout the facilities and worry about how much water we're consuming, and we can get solar panels installed. But I'm more worried about the resiliency of this community long term. We were at threat of the school being closed. As a young person, I couldn't just walk anywhere for milk and eggs or a coffee or anything like that. Like obviously, we had the river valley, but it was, but and you could go for for bike rides through it, but there's no amenities, uh, in, within walking distance. And, you know, I, I said to them, like, we need to have a visioning session. And so I, I took it upon myself to do it. And it was like this, one of these, we had a dream wall where I asked, like, even kids drew pictures. I, you know, all, all walks and all ages came out that day and talked about what they would like to see in Riverdale. And then we gathered it all up and had a bit more consultations and surveys that we put out. And ultimately there was a few things that were identified as key issues that need to be resolved in the community. One was the the school closures, which um, the solution to that was to build a childcare uh, facility and get childcare going so that um, people would bring their their younger kids in and, and get attached to the community and then that would feed into the school. Um, And also, you know, they had a very good campaign of like reaching out to parents that are living in the suburbs, uh, telling them, you know, bring your kid to Riverdale so that when you're working downtown and there's an issue or you need to pop in for a recital or something, it's like right there. Uh, So that started to turn the school around. We wanted a cafe. uh, So we started a community cafe that was a volunteer run cafe for a bit out of Riverdale House. And then uh, that attracted uh, what everybody knows as Little Brick Cafe, which is now a commercial enterprise, which I'm uh, partners in. And then, you know, there was talk about an eatery, talk about a grocery store, talk about a bakery. And so now with this new mixed-use building, and, and, that, and that site was identified at that time as a site of interest to do some of these things. I had no intent of actually being the person to do it, but it was serendipitous Uh, trip to Dubai where I met uh, my existing partners where they said you know we want to buy this lot in Riverdale and this is why and I was like okay this is very interesting (laughs) to me because you know this all ties in with all of this visioning stuff that I had done years prior with the league and we started to talk and the rest is history because obviously uh, we did it and, and we had to negotiate with the the older gentleman who owned it, and it was hard for him to let it go because he wanted it to be the vision he had hoped to achieve someday. So that took a bit. Uh, then, you know, that we got through all the the, the complex design and, and the Tetris model of trying to make it all work. Uh, we didn't need to do community consultation, but we did it because I believe that that's important when you're doing such a pivotal project in the community. I think that they need to be part of the conversation. And what was interesting about that was the negative feedback we got was there's not enough details about the project uh, in your renderings and in your discussions with us. Like, what's it going to be? And I kept saying back to them, I'm like, that's the thing you're supposed to help shape that. That's what we're doing
0: right now. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I was like, that's why we're asking you the question. We're actually not coming in with a preconceived decision and idea of like what the developer wants to do we're coming in saying what do you guys want this to be give us feedback and then we'll take that away and, and present at a later date so it was very uncomfortable for them because it's just not normal they're so used to a developer coming in saying this is what we're doing give me feedback i might listen to you but probably not because i've already decided what i'm doing and you better not fight me on it so we had overwhelming support from the community still obviously some pushback because there's always the concerns around parking impacts and uh, attracting more foot traffic to the area and more people and what's what kind of headaches is that going to cause and stuff so we had to get obviously through our permitting and everything then we had to go to edmonton design committee because it was within the zone we got unanimous support And then we also had to go to SCAB because uh, we had one neighbor who uh, didn't like the parking situation. So through all of that, uh, we passed through all that. So that obviously dragged out timelines on the design side. And then we started construction and uh, COVID, all all the things. There's lots of factors why construction took a bit longer. But one one thing that was really interesting um, before we started construction was another thing that I do is I... I take a moment of pause before I start a new project to reflect on the transition that's happening uh, on that property. I grew up on an organic farm, and I credit my mom with instilling in me the values of stewardship of the land that we are looking after and, and owning. I mean, ownership is a very temporary, fleeting thing when you think about the lifespan of the earth and how long the soil's been there and how long that land's been there. Our our time with that land is very minute. And her idea was always to, while you're a steward of that land, leave it better than you found it. So in, in her world as farming, I mean, it was to leave the soil in, in better health than than before and to to look at it from and and produce good food and, and organic uh, nutrients and stuff. Uh, for me in the building side, it's okay, if I'm starting construction, which for a lot of people involved in a project, they think the lifespan of the project is from the point that you are starting your design to the point that you get occupancy. They don't look at it as a 50-year time span or a 100-year time span. And uh, that's how I see it. I look at the whole lifespan and I look at what it was, then the point that I'm there developing it and standing on it, what it currently is. And then what's it going to be based on my decisions and impact that I'm making here today? So we did a ceremony on the land to reflect on that and think about the thousands of years that it had provided uh, sustenance and stuff for the animals and and indigenous uh, peoples before us. Uh, We thought about, you know, the development that had been there before. It had been a corner store and a convenience store. And then we reflected on what we wanted it to be and put really good intentions out there. And through all of this, we were deciding on the name of the building. And I, again, um, through very influential friends that I, I have, that we have very interesting discussions around reconciliation and, and the fact that we're on Treaty 6 land, um, they had brought to my attention that there, they did not were not aware of any building being named after an Indigenous woman or any monument being constructed in Edmonton that paid homage to the Indigenous women that helped build Fort Edmonton and, and build the city. And there's one in particular, Louise Umferville. Uh, she was the wife of uh, John Rowland, who was instrumental in building Fort Edmonton. And, and so while he was away dealing with business and out east with, you know, with uh, government stuff, she would be running the fort. And she was known as the horsewoman. She saved his life. That's how they, they met uh, he credited her with, yeah, saving his life and running the fort and raising their family and everything. And she also had a strong uh, affiliation with bison, the bison herds and stuff in the area at the time. And so when we're digging the building, um, and this is after we had decided on the name and everything, what was interesting, we were in the last part of the excavation, digging the elevator pit. And what did we find? We found bison bones. So it just like this whole, this, this project, not only does it have the like the story of how we came up, how we met as a group to bring the vision to life, but then the, the permitting and all the approvals, but during construction to find those bison bones really felt like, a, I don't know, it was just a, a pivotal moment of like, okay, we're, we're doing the right thing here. Um, there's a sense of pride in the building. When I go there, I'm so proud of how it looks Uh, yes it took a little bit longer but you know what quality does take longer to do and craftsmanship does take longer to do I'm a little bit tired of the criticism around all the time you know timeline stretch or things cost a bit more well that is when you're doing a legacy project and you're and you're doing high quality and you're doing it for different reasons than um, profit Um, you take your time and I don't now that we're literally at the finish line, I'm very proud of this building. It's going to be there for many years to come. I'm looking forward to seeing the the people and the kids uh, coming, going from the bakery. We're going to have a restaurant. It's got office. There's going to be Airbnbs and like a bed and breakfast style uh, situation on the top. It's a little staycation or getaway because uh, you're immersed in the River Valley and you kind of feel like you're you're especially when you're up in the Airbnb units, you're up above the treetops and it's just the birds are singing and greenery all around you. And they're beautiful units. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to having a staycation with my husband there and, and having my kids enjoy it and, and seeing what we built.
1: Yeah. You certainly aren't opposed to complex problems for sure. Finding (laughs) solutions to those. You are taking a little bit of a staycation now. You, You mentioned earlier that you were going to take a little bit of a pause now um, coming out of our pandemic and you're wrapping up a few projects. So, I mean, what are you, uh, what are you going to do with all your time now?
2: <laughs> well, I, I want to invest a lot of time in the co-working side. I think, uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, surviving a pandemic, I think a lot of small businesses are hurting right now. And there's very much the feeling of being alone. We're all isolated in our homes and our basements and, um, working can be, you know, be a physical space, but it can also be a community that you're building. And I really want to inject a lot of my wisdom and knowledge and pull in a lot of people I know that can help build up our entrepreneurial community because we need them in the city uh, and in this province to diversify the economy. And, you know, it is usually small and medium sized businesses that are the most innovative because they can adapt and pivot faster. And I really want to embark on a, on a vision that's going to strengthen our entrepreneurial community in this province. And um, I think through the Homestead vehicle, uh, that has afforded me and given me a platform to do that. So I want to I do that and do a little bit of a focus on that. And then um, I'm very much interested in still, still pushing forward with projects I had a conversation on Tuesday again with a group, again, it's talking through their their vision and stuff and the stuff I was telling them about how you have to stick with it and and, uh, have the energy for it. Um, But in talking through, like they were asking for my advice. And as I'm talking through it, I'm just like, wow, I, I realize in these conversations I've done a lot in my 20 year experience in the industry now. And I have a lot to offer about all these different stages of these projects about how we did it and how I can advise people to do it. So I do see a pull of like really wanting to further a more holistic approach to development. Um, And by holistic, I mean not just like sustainability of like uh, energy consumption and all the technical pieces around that, but holistic in the sense of like the mental health of how these projects impact uh, people working and living in the spaces but also the community around them yeah there's there's just a lot to unpack and what from what I've learned too and and I think there's a lot of education to be had there so I'm, I'm interested to see where that takes me
1: so then when are you transitioning your uh, children and grandchildren into taking over red brick so they could be that third generation development company with all the power and clout and everything that you were talking about <laughs> pretty quick or... well yeah <laughs> well...
2: <laughs> um my kids walk through my projects they see them at different stages and they're in awe of what's happening I know I honestly I I I don't think I could get a better compliment than my nine-year-old wrapping his arms around me and telling me he's so proud of me uh that I do really cool things and he's amazed at uh the buildings that I build like that that was like one of those moments where it just hit me like I I don't think there's a bigger compliment than that we talked to them about being all the things. I want them to be good little humans. I want them to, whatever they choose to do, I want them to leave the world in a better place than what they found it. I want them ultimately to be just really good people. And so whether that's following my footsteps or not, um, I think it's really important that we be kind and and look after each other as a human race. And I do really hope that, uh, they learn from what I'm doing and watch what I'm doing and whatever it is they want to do then I hope they put the same passion and work ethic into it so I hope by example I've, I've led but whether they want to be in development or do something totally different that's
0: up to them so talking about cool projects that uh, your kids have recently walked through uh, there's an amazing rendering behind you of your Blashford project and I know Ryan has a huge interest in Blatchford. You've got to be one of the first builders in Blatchford. You helped to create the plan for Blatchford. Uh, I kind of stole the show earlier and asked about your mixed use project. I know Ryan really wanted to get into Blatchford, but can you talk a little bit about it before we have to say goodbye?
2: Sure. Yeah. So Blashford is, an, I mean, I, I seem to only take on really big, complex uh, <laughs> visions and projects. Um, that one started way back around the same time, 2010, 2011, I think. Being uh, part of NextGen, uh, being pulled into discussions around the future of Edmonton, what's it going to look like in 2030, 2040, 2050? What's going to be a, a city that I want to live in? And that's around when the idea of closing down the municipal airport was happening and turning it into a sustainable uh, development. So just being part of those conversations and then also being part of the technical uh, committees after it was decided to close close it as an airport, just around how could it tangibly be done and how could this be built out and what would the designs look like and stuff. So giving feedback on that. When the moment came for the first... uh, builders to start building there. I threw my hat into the ring and just thought, wouldn't that be uh, the icing on the cake to be one of the first builders? And, and sure enough, it was chosen and accepted. And that was back in 2018. So here we are three years later. I've just, uh, tomorrow I'm handing over the keys to one of the last houses that we've sold. We've got three more for sale And it's a it's a bit surreal moment um, to, again, be part of a 10 year vision and now be seeing families and kids living in these homes. They're beautiful. I hired an architect that I had been, you know, really looking up to over the years that I really wanted to bring to Edmonton. They hit it out of the park. I love their design. It's just so beautiful, natural material, so much light very good use of space. All the flex housing principles that I had presented back in the day to Mariah's class, I was able to implement a lot of these ideas. Uh, We did natural cedar siding. They just, they stand out when you drive on Kingsway Ave or even on the Yellowhead, you see them and they just, they're a really unique uh, housing product that is unlike anything else that's happening in Edmonton. And that's the combination of uh, my vision and creativity, but also um, the bylaws that the city did in that development really allow us to be more creative than actually anywhere else in Edmonton at the moment. And I hope that that changes. I hope that the rest of Edmonton starts to adopt the rules that are in Blatchford, and then Blatchford continues to evolve as well and and push the envelope so that we can do really innovative housing there. And obviously the sustainability piece um, that's such a core part of what I do. I don't want to build just regular housing. I've been approached by people to just build a house on a property. Um, and I just, I turn those down a lot of the time because anybody can build a house that's not sustainable. Or, I mean, that's my, my viewpoint. There's many companies that can do that and have been doing it. They're good at it. Go hire them. If you want to build a good product that is sustainable with good design, that's going to be work for you for, for several years, then I'm, I am the person to hire on that in, in this area. Well, even, I mean, I'm, I'm actually now starting to get inquiries from across Alberta. Uh, I just believe, again, uh, you know, think about, think about first where you're choosing to buy so that you can actually have a sustainable lifestyle and what that, what that looks like for you and your family. And then look at where your energy is coming from. So in, in Blatchford, it's all geothermal. Uh, we fitted the roofs out with full solar panel arrays. Uh, we think we're going to be actually at net zero, um, and obviously part of that is education of the of the homeowners as well, because um, truly living sustainably is part of is is a full lifestyle buy in piece as well. And the homeowners that have bought our product and our homes uh, fully have bought into that. Like they, I I I had a homeowner in mind when I was designing and uh, putting the project together. And I, it really has been a lightning rod for that, that person, because I look at all my homeowners and I'm just like, they're just all amazing people. We share the same vision, same values, you know, like again, same with the Riverdale took longer than thought uh, to build it out, but they love the product so much that it was the, you know, the feedback is it was worth the wait. Uh, it exceeds their expectations. And I, you know, as a home builder, I can't ask for any any better of a response. And And then what I've seen is my competitors literally following my footsteps and copying our technical specs and our wall assemblies and looking at what we're doing and actually taking our ideas, which can be frustrating. But then you also realize like every morning, like I said, when my team talks about who whose lives we're impacting with the work we do at the end, I say, and I want to change the reason my, my, my big why is I want to change the housing industry in Canada and you can't change the housing industry as one builder. You do it by sparking ideas, showing something, how it can be done, and then having your competitors following your footsteps. And so that ball has started to roll. Yeah. It's, it's an exciting thing to see. So I really do feel like I'm changing the housing industry in Canada with what we're building in Blatchford.
1: You still do talks at the university?
2: I have not should. actually done that in a while. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Get back there. Go, go talk to the engineers. Go talk to the planners. Go talk to everybody out there because, yeah, that educational piece is interesting. I also really like the juxtaposition of that really urban Blatchford rendering you have with the grain elevator right next to it. That is awesome. That's very, yeah, yeah that's very on brand, I suppose, hey?
0: It is, yep. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's very intentional, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Was that design uh, influenced by
2: the grain elevator? Uh, not that design, but another design that I did that I actually did myself uh, through a lot of sketches and stuff. Um, uh, again, what what is the what is uh, what is a Canadian home look and feel like? That was a question that I wanted to answer because you go and you travel and you see these ideas and you do want to bring ideas back but you don't want to take a, a home that looks and fits into Europe and necessarily plunk it in Edmonton, Canada. Like there's context to architecture. And I, I actually wanted to be an architect initially. And I have had architects say to me like, wow, your, your vocabulary in architecture and your ability to express design and your ideas is uh, at an, another level than, than most developers that you see. Um, and that's because I just have such a passion for design and architecture. So I I, I think that's such an, uh, an important part of the decision-making process. I didn't want to just have people say, oh, that looks like a house I would see in California or that looks like a building I would see in Europe um, because those, those uh, cultures are different and their climates are different. And like, we need to build housing and we need to build buildings that are Canadian. And what does that look like and what does that feel like? And so I asked myself the question, well, what is uh, the architecture of the Canadian prairies that stands out in my mind And of course, that's uh, one of them that I I had is the uh, green elevator, which is a disappearing landmark across the prairies. And I wanted to uh, look at that shape and design and see how I could reflect that in my housing. So my Rowley duplex design is that uh, it's uh, yeah, and it's beautiful. A lot of people love it. Uh, I, you know, I do plan to build it. Here at some point in the future, I've been focused on the Blatchford project, you know, and, and, and also too, I, I may actually go back to school for architecture because it's, it's something that, yeah, it's something that I've just never, um, let go of. I, I'm so passionate about design and, and architecture.
1: You're like 90% of the way there. I think you'll breeze through <laughs> that degree this time. I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah. <laughs> what's your, what's your, uh, engineering background?
2: Civil engineering with a major in structural.
1: Okay. So, I mean, you're like 95% of the way there now, I suppose. So yeah, you should have no problem. I'm also, I also wanted to be an architect, but I checked down. So you're, I I applaud you for, for going back up. That's uh, that's pretty sweet.
2: (laughs) Well, and it's not necessarily um, to, like, I don't want to practice as an architect. Uh, I just, I, I want the education. I want, I want to be able to, when I have a vision in my head, I actually want to be able to translate that clearly to paper without that struggle. I, sometimes I, I still feel like I don't quite have the tools uh, to translate from my vision in my head to paper. And that's the piece that I would love. I, I, that would be a passion project for me to be able to come up with the designs, um, still get a, an, you know, hire a firm to, know do all the code stuff for me but i would like to be able to have that design language in my brain and be able to translate it to paper
1: you're like a dual citizen like a pega and triple a i don't (laughs) think there's very many people that could claim (laughs) registration to both so that'd be pretty cool
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: it would be yeah. Cool. And then um, just looking forward, I know you're uh, you mentioned a few things that you're looking forward to, but we've got new city plan. We've got kind of you know ideas very well established and tentacles reaching beyond the city limits at this point. So, what are you kind of excited about for uh, the infill industry moving forward?
2: I think Edmonton has leapfrogged ahead with a lot of the the bylaws and zoning regulations. I think uh, the mature neighborhood overlay, I mean, you can, there's two camps, people that believe it should be more stringent, people that believe it should be less stringent. I'm definitely in the camp that uh, I I feel like it really restricts a lot of the things that you can do. Um, And that doesn't mean like, you know, necessarily removing it entirely, but we definitely need uh, some more relaxation there in order to do some of the really cool stuff that I know a lot of uh, people like me are talking about. Um, But I I do feel like it's come a long way. What I think is needed is the infill industry itself to mature, uh, where we catch up to what we want to build. So we need better um, knowledge and education on the trade side and the consulting side. And, you know, I'm sure they'll feel insulted to hear me say that, but it's just the truth of it. And even on the developer side, um, we just need more education and experience under our belt so that we can just get better and better at uh, doing it. Um, I still hear, obviously, the, the complaints that infill is uh, disruptive and messy and, and not good for the neighborhood and stuff. And, and I think there's definitely examples where that's true. And, and that comes when uh, you're in the infancy of an industry and your standards aren't maybe where they need to be from an industry perspective uh, I think it's time that the industry uh, grows up and steps up and uh, leans into that a little bit more and has open, honest conversation about it. Um, because, I mean, I'm not going to pull any punches here. What I see in the industry, uh, just trying to build quality buildings, we need our craftsmanship to step up, guys, uh, across the board. And I'm not going to single any any particular... Um, division out or anything but attention to detail uh desire to build quality stuff that lasts uh, and then also incentivizing that on the lending world and the financing world i shouldn't have to fight to prove the value of my building and to fight to prove the value of quality why am i getting compared to the lower quality stuff uh that's not fair because that impedes my ability to build quality so how do we flip that on its head let's get the money side to catch up with uh, what we want to do on the infill side.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I like what you said it, that everything is context specific. And I guess that applies to financing as well. So
2: yeah, yeah, no, it, it's still such a it's still such a key, key driver of the industry. Without the money flowing, you can't do what we do. So again, they're just used to looking at they, they come they think they're comparing apples to apples, but really, it's apples, to oranges. And we need better education on that side to understand what quality looks and feels like.
1: Well, that's why you need to talk more at universities, Tegan, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of fun. Cause it's, um, Yeah, I know I I only deal with kind of the regulatory side, but it it follows a very similar path as what you're talking about. Everybody's painted with the same brush, regardless of what neighborhood you're in or wherever you are. So I fall into the same camp as you that the mature neighborhood overlay and the zoning bylaws a little bit restrictive and it should be a little bit more context specific, even though the entire thing is said to be context specific for, you know, all the central neighborhoods, including all the ones in the third generation suburbs from the 80s all the way back to the first gen suburbs from the 40s we're all painted with the same brush so i just joined uh the McKernan community league actually cuz i just moved here and uh it's fun like lo- reviewing development applications and um kind of hearing both sides of everything the infill good infill bad discussion it's yeah we got a hurdle to overcome there but since you started idea and then passed the baton off to mariah i mean we're in a really good shape i think so
2: yeah, yeah, and I and I think the community leagues have such a big part to play in the conversation, and, and one of the ways to affect change is obviously joining IDEA, but then also boots on the ground joining your community league and getting your hands dirty there and working alongside your neighbours to understand what is it that your neighbours are seeing and wanting and then injecting your vision and ideas for your community.
0: Yeah, well, I wouldn't have been prepared to work with IDEA if I hadn't spent... Three years with my community league, figuring out what was important there. How do we get development going? How do we enhance and protect our green spaces? It's all a big part of how you build the city. and We're lucky in Edmonton to have that infrastructure with our community leagues. Yeah.
2: And I think, too, like, you have to go in with a very open mind and listen first. Like, we all have this idea of what we think the city should look like or their community should look like. Um, but uh, you have to also respect uh, what the generations before you that bought into the community in the 1950s or 60s and have lived there all their lives and raised their kids there, they have a very good perspective, and they have a lot of history there. You need to listen with an open mind around what it is that they, what their hopes and dreams are for the future of the community, because a lot of the pushback around infill is around a fear of the unknown, and fear of change and fear of negative outcomes. And you can't just brush that under a carpet and say, oh, well, that won't happen. Well, no, they like, have open, honest dialogue. There are negative downsides to building a new construction in an existing neighborhood. And there are consequences and outcomes. And you have to have, you have to be open and honest about it and, and consider all the viewpoints in a community that, um, because they're your neighbors you have to have a united vision and that comes first from listening to each other
1: yeah that is difficult when like you talked about the uh land ownership side is so fleeting when it comes to uh, a lot of builders and developers it's you know shrink that timeline as 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 much as possible to uh minimize your income so yeah I, i think at the end of the day aligning the
0: visions makes a
1: lot of sense so but understanding what that vision is is a good first step
0: so yeah yeah leadership is very important in cities well <laughs> on that note I think we uh, we share a vision for our city growing up and growing in and growing with quality together I wanted to thank you so much for the time and for helping create this conversation today and <laughs> changing uh, changing Edmonton's development patterns and and story going forward so thank you so much
2: yeah no it's been it's been a g- great. Uh... I want to say 10 years. I mean, that's that's kind of effectively when uh, this all started to come together. It's been a great 10 years. And I really hope that, uh, I, I, I don't know what the next 10 years is going to bring, but I know that Edmonton is well on its way. And I really think that, you know, we need to come back together under a shared strong vision with, you know, obviously there's going to be an election coming up. I think that's pivotal. You know, we need visionaries. We need leadership to paint the way. And then we all need to come together as a community and, and uh, make it happen. And Edmonton is, uh, if nothing else, uh, a strong community spirit and a lot of people that care deeply about the future of the city. And that is, I've been to, I've lived in other places, I've lived in other cities, and that is something that is Edmonton's strength. And I really look forward to seeing what Idea does in the next ten years, and also what uh, what other what our industry does and how it grows in the next ten years.
0: Yeah, it's definitely the great thing about Edmonton is we're willing to do it together. Yep. <laughs> Ryan, did you have anything you wanted to say before we all take off for the day?
1: No, that feels like a good place to dismount. Thanks a lot for your time, Tegan. <laughs> that was uh, that was good. That was really good. Thank you. Well,
0: yeah,
2: no, thank you very much. It was nice to reflect on the journey. So it was awesome.
1: We'll have you on again to talk about uh, the future once you're, once you're back, because you'll come back, right?
2: Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, that was an amazing conversation with Tegan. It was. And yeah, I really liked it. I liked hearing all about her Blatchford projects. I know I've been able to catch up with her regularly about the mixed use one, but Blatchford is is quite the project on the go.
1: Yeah, that was only like the second or third time I think I've ever talked to Tegan in my life. So I think I was just kind of enjoying listening to her talk and her entire journey. She's done some cool things.
0: Yes. Yeah. She does have quite the swagger when you talk to her. (laughs) (laughs) Why I went back and found her.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So uh, this part of the episode is a fact check for all those who are listening in. Uh, There's a few things that were mentioned that if you're from Edmonton, you may recognize but if you're not from Edmonton, we wanted to give you a bit of context. So the first being where Idea had its kickoff meeting at the Mercer Tavern, which is downtown Edmonton. It actually just recently closed um, in late August. It's been there for a while. It's quite a beautiful spot. I had a misunderstanding of what it was actually about. (laughs) Um, I thought it was quite, quite a sports bar, but Ryan has been there under many circumstances.
1: Yeah, actually, and to be clear, it closes tomorrow. So we're recording this a couple weeks after we recorded the episode with Tegan, and it's a day before Mercer closes. So by the time you're listening to this, it'll be closed, RIP. But yeah, it's it's it was way more than a broey sports bar. I went to quite a few dance parties there. I know you went to a trivia night or two there um yeah they do drag brunches trivia nights tons of events concerts and then of course on Euler game days it turns into a haven for uh sports fans so yeah i've been there on a few different occasions i'm, I'm a little sad to see it leave but i'll be honest um yeah i haven't really been to support it over the last year unfortunately because of covid and that type of thing so yeah but uh it is kind of the end of an era it's a building that was originally there in 1911 according to their Instagram page um, as a tavern and they rebranded and reopened in 2012. So it's been kind of a fun little journey, but, uh, yeah, sad to see it close.
0: Yeah. And they did build out a really cool patio over the pandemic, uh, to kind of have some outdoor space. The, uh, the second place that we talked about was Lockstock coffee, which is another downtown spot in Edmonton. It's a coffee shop by day. And then it turns into a restaurant kind of pub in the evening. Uh, Brian and I have had tons of meetings there. Their (laughs) desserts are so good and so tempting. (laughs) They have a malt chocolate cookie that is absolutely unbelievable. Um, I know you've had the egg sandwich there before. Arugula, can't go wrong with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've walked by a billion times and like talked myself into turning around to go back there for either a baked good or like a breakfast sandwich. It's, a, I love their coffee
0: shop. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna butcher it, but if you go in, sorry, uh, if you go in and you ask for a queen something, they have this like pastry and it has fruit in the inside and it's flaky and buttery and sugary and it's, it's really good. So if you're in Edmonton or if you're coming to Edmonton, Go to Lockstock, have their desserts. You will not be disappointed.
1: You'll probably see um, me there or Mariah there too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then the other spot that we, uh, we talked about, uh, Riverdale Project, Taken's Riverdale Project as being one of the first mixed-use projects in Edmonton. Uh, I did a bit of background research and I am so sorry to the people who created the Gibbard blog because I know a few of them and I don't know how it uh, escaped my mind in the moment. But for those who don't know, there's a project called the Giver Block in Edmonton. It is really cool. It has a restaurant, co-working space, Airbnb, a curated liquor store. I think there are other a few other uses in there. Um, but I'm actually going to tour the space this Wednesday. Cool. So stay tuned. Um, yeah. So it we've got a, we've got a couple of cool projects on the go here in Edmonton.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That one's really interesting. It's it like kind of popped up not out of the blue. There was some some fanfare or whatever. But my wife was actually uh. Uh, She helped on the Kickstarter for the Fox burger place that's in there. So we got um, like a year of burgers, which was awesome. So I've been there a lot and it's, it's a really cool building. Uh, They have probably one of the best patios in the city. Um, It's always busy. A kind ice cream has moved in across the street, which is another like, you know, huge Edmonton staple. So it's kind of starting to transition this area. It's uh, yeah, it's very interesting.
0: Yeah, it's definitely become like a hot spot for the neighborhood and drawing people in uh and i've actually taken some takeout from fox burger it's not as good as eating in obviously but uh it does travel well so
1: yeah the disco fries yeah they travel really well <laughs> <laughs> okay. highly recommend their chicken burger disco fries any of their breakfasts their milkshakes that all of their food is really good yeah big fan
0: have you um, been served patio space on top? I
1: haven't been yet. Oh, yeah. Oh, the patio is unbelievable. It's it's a little bit complex because they have to carry the, you see the servers carrying the the plates up three flights of stairs. But for uh, guests, they have a bar up there. Um, you're kind of among the treetops. So you don't have like, you have 360 degree views of, of Edmonton and you're just basically above the trees. Um, and they have, yeah, when, when the sun's out, they have nice, uh, nice seating, nice shade, nice tables. It's always busy up there. It's awesome.
0: Oh, uh, so yeah, I, the reason I'm going, um, this week to do a tour of the space is idea is hosting an event there because of its outdoor space, the outdoor patio upstairs, uh, September 22nd. So cool. if you haven't already, um, subscribe to our newsletter. Do that. Uh, You can also get a membership with us. We're pretty awesome. And we make a lot of change in the city.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was a good plug. And and, yeah, if they can't see us at Lockstock, they'll see us at the Giver Block for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) People are just going to find out all of our favorite spots.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll just be the guy mucking a chicken burger on that patio up there. Just feel free to come say hi. Yeah. Uh, Tegan talked a few, a, a little bit about some of the wins Uh, that ideas had since she started. And I think it's she didn't go into too much detail and I think it's important to to talk about that. So um, you and I put this little bit of a list together, but a few of the wins that Tegan was referring to and they seem kind of minuscule, but they're actually huge. The first was actually creating... Uh, idea and getting it to a point where they're taken seriously as um, an association Uh, I think we've achieved that definitely Uh, also some of the original wins um, on Tegan's list there was things like lot splits um, which seems so long ago that we um, allowed that and I remember the fight at the time about lot splits and in some neighborhoods it's still happening but um, yeah that was a huge win Creating the infill liaison team, which Mariah, you and I have worked together uh, with them extensively, and we're going to have some of their members on our podcast episodes and, and future episodes here. So that was really important. So a dedicated team at the city that looks after infill, really good. And then the infill roadmap 1.0. Do you remember some of the details about that?
0: Yeah. So I think well, uh, idea was working with the city of Edmonton, showing that like infill needed resources. They're like to put resources to something, you need a strategy. And so that's kind of where the Infill Roadmap uh, 1.0 came from, was what do we need to do to get to 25% infill uh, as a city and reach our um, our development target goals? And so, it, you know, there's no silver bullet to any problem. So we <laughs> need to put together a strategy and that's kind of develop it with the city, develop it with the community, develop it with the industry. And then we reached 25%, which is awesome, which also seems long ago because now we're aiming for 50%. Isn't it
1: crazy? Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. So, and the, what, the last thing that I think is a, is a big win and we spent, you know, way too much time talking about you on this podcast, but you hiring you as the executive director, I think was kind of a win and taken mentioned that a little bit. Um, I'm curious about your perspective though, when you came on, um, if you knew how big of a job it was going to be. And then obviously, you know, kind of having to start over with uh, creating a new set of wins to go after.
0: So when I joined idea, I think they had done so much work and so much foundational like strategy and relationship building and uh, providing advice and um, kind of research the city of Edmonton that they were burnt out when I, when I got into the room and they needed someone to update the website, answer emails, bring snacks. to, to <laughs> like, So no one gets hangry. So the my role really developed over time. Um, and we, you know, we put together a strategy of how to fund my position, because we didn't really have that when I right. started, uh, put together some committees to help give f- feedback to the city of Edmonton to put on events. Because um, even if you're a one person show, to, to do what we wanted to do, we needed to be really dynamic and push forward. So There was a lot of like building that foundation uh so that other people could help me pick up the work and kind of run with it and do cool projects that they're passionate about you know you and i have worked on the education program together and you can't do it alone i needed you and all the other teachers and everyone who helped build out the course material to actually do that project so
1: It was wild. Yeah. And like, I'll just say it seemed like a well-oiled machine when I joined in 2019. So it's, that's why I was really excited to talk to Tegan and hear kind of the early struggles, um, and kind of the path that, that they took to even get to, you know, hiring you so that the originals could take their, finally take their foot off the gas a little bit and have somebody, you know, have somebody else bring the snacks to the events and that type of thing. So, um, (laughs) and obviously a lot more than that.
0: For the first six months, uh like the current board and the past board did a really good job of like mentoring me sharing uh the story sharing how to build uh new bridges with different groups to build up our capacity so hats off to them it's definitely yeah. not a one-person show it's, it's a whole community
1: Yeah, I think in future episodes, we'll probably do like a how to build your own infill association uh, episode. I think that'd be kind of interesting because there's a lot to talk about here. So yeah, a long episode, a really long episode. It is our inaugural one, and this isn't going to be how we normally do it. Um, These outros and fact checks definitely will. But um, yeah, typically we're going to keep it a little bit shorter. But I just I could not stop asking her questions or listening to her answers.
0: Yeah, she's quite intoxicating.
1: It's <laughs> yeah, a good way of putting it. We'll probably bring her on another time. So, yeah.
0: Well, shall we get on with our day? Let yeah. everyone else go?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: <laughs> All right. Go public hearing, help with projects, build the city. I'll see you next week.
1: Come visit Lockstock or Foxburger. I'll be at one of those two locations, 100%.
0: <laughs> Bye, everyone.
1: See you, Mariah.